welcome to episode 35 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And this week we'll be recapping episode 207, Zuko Alone, and 208, The Chase, from season two of Avatar The Last Airbender. Now, before we start, we do want to warn you that this podcast will be mentioning spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and The Rise of Kyoshi. However, you are free from spoilers about The Shadow of Kyoshi as well as any Avatar Universe comic books. Say that five times fast. How are you doing this week, Andre? Oh, girl, this pollen is getting to me. It is a lot. Like, I wake up every morning and everything is just caked, absolutely caked in pollen. I'm trying to not go outside as much as possible. I already do that on a regular basis anyway because of the pandemic. Uh <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's maybe why no, my I allergies do- aren't as bad this time of year because I just don't go outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know but i'm doing otherwise i'm doing great i'm just some i just cannot go outside with like my eyes watering or my nose running mm. it's a really really annoying it but. feels like we, it feels like weather wise it's like skipped like spring and like moved right into summer weather like it's like 80 degrees outside so? today like if oh, it does, it's, yeah. it's 80 degrees outside you know i don't know i would have liked a little bit more of an ease into this kind of thing you know it's like in between but nope we're going right for summer you know what i'm not complaining too much but you know I like warm weather. Yeah. Bugs are coming back. The pollen's coming back, but everything's good. <laughs> yeah, the bugs too. I'm just, ugh. that's why, this is why I love fall and winter because I don't have to worry about bugs. Bugs go ever. back to hell where they belong. Exactly. They really, they really, really can. And like, listen, I know they're, they're great for like uh, pest control, but literally wasps can fuck off. I mm-hmm. hate wasps. They scare me. Mm-hmm. I don't like them. It feels like I'm constantly followed by them. And I just, I just don't, I hate it. I hate it. I don't really love spring. I mean, I love the the warm weather and like the time change, but that's like, that's it, you know? Yeah. I prefer summer, even though there's still a lot of bugs, but not as much like allergies and stuff. But yeah. Other than the weather, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing well. Uh, You know, I'm just trying to get through the last couple of weeks of school. Uh, It's April. So I graduate from college next month, which is crazy. That is crazy. But I am going to be going to do a year of grad school. So it's not quite like I'm an adult in the real world type thing just yet, even Mm -hmm. though I'm like bordering on the edge of that because, you know, I got to take out student loans for grad school. So that's a that's a fun time to feel like an adult. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But Yeah. It is weird wrapping up undergrad. And like I have thankfully I don't have any exams, just projects that are kind of like kicking me in the tush right now. Uh, But yeah, things are good. Um. Yeah, that's that's all I got this week. <laughs> Work. Well, let's move on to the news. Um, this came just in the nick of time because uh, we weren't going to have news. And I'm glad that we ended up rescheduling, too, because apparently Cabbage Guy is getting his own board game. And I did not. Out of all the things 2021 was going to bring, this is what not this is not what I expected. This is from a Screen Rant article, and it says, Though a minor character introduced in the first season, the show's vegetable purveyor, love that, quickly hit meme status due to a running gag in which the merchant supply Leafy Greens is constantly getting destroyed, usually as a result of the Avatar's friend's actions. This new board game is based on the character's tribulations and is available now and will challenge players to build up a cabbage trade empire. So basically build Cabbage Corp. That's basically what you're trying cabbage to do. Cabbage Corp. Mm-hmm. And it's only available on Box Lunch. You can't get it on Amazon. It's just available on, on Box Lunch. But this, I don't know when exactly this came out. This article is only two days old. So I don't know how long that, that game has come out. But like I've, I've seen no like 
other announcements on it. So I don't know. What what do you think about this? I that was totally out of left field. I was not expecting like any kind of Avatar news like this. Like, I mean, he was saying, I think Avatar, I did not like Avatar board game. I mean, I know there's an Avatar role playing game that's like coming, uh-huh. but like I was, I mean, when I had to think board game, I did not think about Cabbage Guy being the focus of a Avatar board game for sure. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. it's kind of genius. <laughs> well, you should, there should be like, like an Avatar Monopoly or oh, yeah. like an Avatar, like seen it or like an Avatar Clue, you know, Is like all those board games. Thing? Like that, that DVD so. game? Like I think so, yeah. So I had like Disney seen it when I was younger. I remember that. Huh. Like with streaming not being you know, being the king of movie watching. Hmm. Yeah, I, it's still a thing. I don't yeah, I don't know how popular it is now, but yeah, I don't know. Just <laughs> thought this was this is a little bit of, of fun news. I for appreciate us. the fun news. There's been a lot of like bad news, especially in West Virginia politics lately. So I'm like, you know what, Cabbage Man's getting a game, oh. even though they're constantly trying to strip away queer rights in West Virginia. At least Cabbage Man's getting his own game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a different podcast though about the politics stuff. But yeah. Uh, it's not it's not great, guys. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's move on to the episode recaps. These are two pretty big episodes. Lots of character development, lots of movement, lots of things happening. Yeah, yeah. We're going to start with 207 Zuko alone. So Zuko is traversing some unknown part of the Earth Kingdom on the ostrich horse, ostrich horse goddammit, that Iroh gave to him when they parted ways. And with an empty stomach, he smells food and looks over at a campsite where a man and a pregnant woman are cooking, you know, something on a fire. And for a moment, he thinks to rob them and steal the food, but he decides to move on. So a couple of things here. Um, I completely forgot about this part, but this is the couple that we see the gang escort through the Serpent's Pass later on in the season. So that's cool because um, mm-hmm. they also show up a couple more times outside of that episode. So yeah, it's like kind of like- this like line of like it's that thing of I think you were talking about uh, last episode for the Star Wars thing is like the world feels uh, lived in. And I think this is like a little bit. Um, one of the many instances in this episode where there's a lot of like subtle world building, um, but that and and that in particular was something that really struck me as really cool. Plus the uh, you know, at, like like you mentioned before, the couple show up a few more times even after the Serpent's Pass episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it also shows that like, you know, kind of like the sort of an, the outsider perspective because we're so focused on the people who are trying to save the world or you know take over it. And like mm-hmm. just seeing how some of these things, like for example, what happens in season at season two finale with you know bossing say falls, you know spoilers. Oh, joking. We already had the alert earlier in the episode, but you get to see their reaction to that. You know, it's like a yeah, it's quick, but it's there and it adds to it for sure. Yeah, it gives you a unique perspective and also um, just hammers home again the idea that even though there is a war going on, uh, for a lot of people, life still goes on. You know. Um, and this is also important too, because this is also just an, another quick glimpse into Zuko's humanity. And I think like directly begins to set up, um, like this, like two sides of his personality. Like he is, he is both someone that wants the power because he thinks that's what he's destined to be. But he's also this person that doesn't want to harm people. You know, it's, it's like this really weird struggle he has within himself, um, but that's this is just the first instance of that. Um, it also seems to me pretty telling. I noticed this on the second watch that it's telling to me that the thought of just asking them for some food doesn't even cross Zuko's mind. Like, 
I I'm certain right. that if they he just could've. came and he was like, "Hey, like I've been traveling for a couple of days, can I just have a little bit of food?" Like I'm sure they would have given him some, but I think the idea doesn't even cross Zuko's mind, and I think it's just this, another subtle way to show that he avoids showing weakness at all costs. Like he doesn't accept help even when he needs it, which is I guess what we're supposed to be feeling too with like leaving Iroh and what Iroh says in the next episode about wanting to be there for Zuko. But again, it's, it's, I mean, we're barely into the episode and like so many things have already happened. Exactly. Like it's, it's so great. And uh, yeah, the battlefield, like the, the giant wheels of earth, like, you know, the things that you see, like those mini versions that people shoot at each other in pro bending and Korra. I was so, mm-hmm. that was, I mean, I, that was so cool to see like, it's not the first person to point this out and neither are you because you wrote the dumb yeah. notes not me uh yeah so but- the, the field that that zuko is going through with the giant earth kingdom like coins um is uh, the same field that avatar Wan died in in beginnings part two in legend of korra and for some reason i just thought this was this was just like a fan theory that was coming about but i actually uh saw that confirmed in avatar wiki which is seems to be pretty um uh, legitimate in terms of this kind of stuff so i'm wondering if Bryke maybe at some point confirmed it but i mean it's not a long way to go you know it's it looks pretty pretty similar but again it, it was it's just another it's another instance of world building not not on just legend of chorus part but even just going through that you can already tell this world has a lot of history like something big happened here you know and mm-hmm. it also like kind of hints to the fact that there is also a lot of internal struggle within the Earth Kingdom itself. You know, like there's always been constant. We, we also saw in Rise of Kiyoshi, there's also just massive conflict, internal conflict within the Earth Kingdom because it is so big and so huge and so hard to regulate that there's just a lot of stuff there that happened that we don't know about. So um, and then for a moment, Zuko starts to doze off and we quickly see a glimpse of a woman in a hood sort of walking away from him. And that's kind of the many one of many flashbacks that we will get in this episode. Um, but Zuko arrives in a village and passes some gambling Earth Kingdom soldiers. He attempts to buy supplies and food when two boys hiding beside the counter throw an egg at the soldier. They think Zuko threw the egg, so they go to confront him, and Zuko says he saw he saw nothing. As the vendor brings Zuko's uh, food out, the leader of the soldiers takes it and thanks Zuko for his contribution. And the vendor tells Zuko that those men are supposed to protect them from the Fire Nation, but are just a group of criminals. So this is interesting too because we're we're obviously meant to like feel for Zuko in this episode. So that comes in the way of like making the Earth Kingdom soldiers the antagonist of the episode, which is interesting because they have I mean all the Earthbenders we've seen most of them thus far have been on the good side, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But even back in the um the the winter solstice episode where the earth kingdom soldiers arrest iroh and zuko and iroh are fighting them were obviously meant to be rooting for them so it's interesting like the lenses that the writing kind of puts all these different characters in depending on what part of the story needs to be told so you know like i mean i'm probably not like the million person to say this but this episode is basically like a western type thing like some Mm -hmm. clint you know clint eastwood where like people just you know the main character just gets like emotionally the shit beaten out of him by the end of the story like you know there's the you know town that's like almost like basically in the middle of a desert outlaws around the town you know lone ranger character coming in you know broody character and you know 
except instead of being heralded as the hero at the end, he ends up getting picked out, which doesn't happen in as many westerns. But you know, yeah. So, so sorry to cut you cut you off there. No, it's okay. Good observation. <laughs> so Azuko begins to leave. Uh, Lee, the boy who threw the egg, thanks him for covering for them and invites Zuko back to his farm where he can feed his ostrich horse. When Lee and Zuko arrive at his parents' camp, uh, Lee's parents explain that their eldest son, Sensu, is fighting in the war. They then ask him to stay for dinner in exchange for some work that needs done on the farm, to which Zuko accepts. As Zuko and Lee's father, Gonsu, repair a roof, Lee attempts to get to know Zuko by asking a series of personal questions before his father reprimands him, saying that it's not polite to ask a stranger a bunch of those personal questions. And it's here where we start to get the big flashback. So we flash back to a young Zuko and his mother, Ursa, feeding a small pond of turtle ducks, and Zuko, mimicking Azula, throws a large piece of bread at one. Um, and there's already a lot of things happening here. So I think there's a lot of like really subtle character stuff going on here. How like Zuko attempts to be more like his sister who is, who his father actually respects, but he regrets it almost instantly because it, he, it's like against his nature. It also, also it literally comes and bites him. So <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's like that thing of, I think that that's what drives Zuko more than anything, almost even the thing about capturing the avatar. I think he's also so holding on to that because he knows that Azula can do it and he, and she can do it faster. Like, I think that's, that's the constant anxiety that he has is that Azula will continue to take things from him in a, in a way for him to like show his worth and his honor a lot. Like, you know, MCU, like Nebula and Gamora, you know, like Gamora is the Azula in this situation, you know. I also want to say this just came into mind. So I don't forget it later. But like, you know, especially when you mentioned the anxiety of Zuko, you know, seeing that Azula could do it faster than him catching the Avatar. It got me thinking mm -hmm. about kind of the dynamics with Iroh and Ozai and Ozai trying to get Iroh's birthright to the throne, you know. Mm -hmm. Azula would totally do something like that, you know. She probably, she kind of did almost, you know. So like, right. I know it's a little ahead of the episode, but I well, know but, I will but yeah, <laughs> but it but it makes sense because um because Uncle Iroh is much more of a mentor to Zuko than Ozai ever was, and that is the complete opposite for Azula, where Ozai seemed to be a a a more involved father than um or a mentor figure than uncle Iroh was that we, we, and we see that later with the gifts from bossing say, but, um, but yeah, back to this little moment with the turtle ducks. Ursa also explains that mothers are protective and will bite back when their children are in danger. And I think this is also a little bit of foreshadowing because oh hell yeah, in the day of the black sun episode, Ozai tells Zuko that his mother did treasonous things to save Zuko's life. Now this is from the coming out of Ozai's mouth. Mm. It probably wasn't, treasonous or or as bad as he's making it out to be because again he is explains, master of, there's a comic that explains what she did though. i know we're, we're gonna get to the search eventually <laughs> but and we will we will decide if it if what she did was treasonous or not but you know ozai master manipulation i would not i would not put it above him to like completely blow this thing out of the water but i think it at the end of the day it is i think a little foreshadowing to what ursa ends up doing absolutely and also ursa like her name is significant too because ursa is is a word that means bear so like literally mama bear character oh okay interesting so you know we'll fight back to protect their young like a bear so interesting fun facts this is what happens when you're obsessed with names as a kid 
So as the flashback continues, we see a young Azula, May, and Ty Lee together in a courtyard, and May sees Zuko walking by and blushes. Azula catches this and gets Zuko to play with them, and she places an apple on May's head, lights the stem on fire, to which Zuko runs at her and pushes her into the pond. Um, embarrassed, he storms off. So even at this young age, manipulation seems to come extremely easily to Azula. Like it, oh, yeah. like completely. And again, it's e- exemplified later in the episode as well. But like, it comes, fr- it starts with like seemingly harmless things like this, right? Like manipulating the situation just to embarrass her brother, and then it it just gets to a point where like it's it's a lot worse than that. Like there are a lot more consequences. But I don't know. It's just it's it's I don't know. It's it's just a lot of also a lot of character work going into Azula here as well. You know. Um, so Ursa receives a letter from Uncle Iroh, who's currently laying siege to Bossing Say. In the letter, Iroh says that if the city is as magnificent as its wall, Bossing Say must be something to behold, and he hopes that they can come see it one day if he does not burn it to the ground first. And was it really cringe for you to hear Iroh say this? Oh, absolutely, because we we see this peaceful, you know, peaceful until provoked kind of person. Yeah. Uh, you know, drinking tea, giving life advice, and we forget that he was, you know, he was one of them, one of the, you know, an imperialist, mm-hmm. like, you know, a lot of the Fire Nation was. So, yeah, I was kind of like... It was just crazy to hear him say something like that and then, like, laugh after. Like, you get the sense that this was, like, almost a completely different person. Absolutely. I mean, hey, like, the death of your kid can change, change it would change anyone. The death of a loved one, you know, can definitely change who you are um and it also shows just kind of like a full 180 that pretty much a pretty much a full 180 because i know that azula refers to him as like a tea drinking buffoon pretty much mm-hmm. uh so he still had that part that we know him from but he had the the, the violence side that we don't see that often with him. right well and i also wanted to say this and this was just a personal thing but i always thought i i just i completely misremember this entire situation because I thought they never actually got through the wall. Yeah, I forgot. Like in the flashback, it sees it. You can see that they've made it through the outer wall, and he says as much. And I guess the idea was to get to the main ring, like the upper ring, to where the Earth King was. But for some reason, I always thought they they spent like six hundred days just trying to get through the outer wall. And then I've mm-hmm. I've like been watching like. Legend of Korra and like Gazan does it in like two seconds with some lava bending. I'm like, well, it took Iroh like, but apparently it didn't. So I just completely misremembered this situation. Also just, like, I can't be thinking about like the design of White Bossing say like he like the royalty literally put the, like the you know the people who are poorer and living in like the outer ring like literally uses them as like meat shields pretty much. Yeah, and I'm sure there was many, many, many casualties. I didn't even think about that until now. Yeah, but that's just something I completely misremembered, which and it also changes a yeah. little bit how I see the show. Uh, Iroh has sent Azula and Zuko some gifts. He sent Azula an Earth Kingdom doll um, and Zuko a dagger with the inscription, never give up without a fight. Um, Azula burns the doll. <laughs> yeah, Azula then makes a comment wondering aloud what would happen if Iroh didn't return from war and whether or not that meant Ozai would then become the Fire Lord. And... I think it's interesting that this dagger that Iroh gives Zuko would later become the very thing that severs Zuko and Iroh's ties from the Fire Nation because it's the dagger that they cut their top knots off with. Um, That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's really interesting how that dagger has like kind of traveled through the story. Um, and it also echoes what Zuko told Aang in the season one finale 
um, where he says, I've always had to struggle and fight and that's made me strong. It's made me who I am. And I feel like the inscription on this dagger is like a clear basis or indicator of that, you know? And I think, I think Iroh also kind of knew that that's the kind of life that Zuko would have to have. Like he just, he just kind of knew that about him. Back to the present day, we see Lee make off with Zuko's dual swords to play in the field and Zuko approaches him and begins to show him how to properly use them and explains that he has to think of the swords as one whole rather than two separate blades. This to me screams symbolism. I don't know how though. Oh, yeah. I don't know how. Well, okay. So I actually did look up. Uh, well, before I looked it up, I thought it was definitely about some, some sort of balance metaphor, you know, because mm. it's all about restoring balance and things like that. And eventually does, you know, kind of help at least tip the scale in the favor of balance with what he does with the fire nation later, mm-hmm. later, later, later. But, um, that's kind of got me thinking about like the, the yin and yang, like we saw with like the, the two fish, yeah. you know, from the, the water tribe. But, um, I'm not entirely wrong on this because in the avatar extras bonus commentary, thank you, avatar wiki. Um, apparently Zuko's dual swords, uh, in the commentary, that's what they're talking about this here is that it's meant to represent the conflicting good and bad sides of himself and that they're both are different parts of himself. Okay. So, yeah. Symbolism. I, I, I thought it was something like that, but I was like, I was like, I don't know. It could be something else. Like if it feels like extremely like an on the nose metaphor. Um, but yeah, yeah, thank you. Avatar wiki. Once again, um, saving the day. So the next day, Azuka prepares to leave. The soldiers from the village come to inform the family that their son's battalion has been captured. And then they joke that he'll be dressed up as a Fire Nation soldier and sent to the front lines, as you do. And Gonzu tells the leader Gao, that's his name apparently, to watch his mouth, prompting Gao to strike him before Zuko breaks up the encounter and gets the soldiers to leave. And as they do so, Zuko is reminded of his cousin's death and the day his mother received the news that Luten did not survive the battle. Um, which is, uh, you know, it's it, completely heartbreaking. The the flashback of Ursa just getting the note and then like the tears streaming down her face, you know, it's crazy. And then knowing what's to come for us in a few episodes, leaves from the vine. Yeah. He's ready for some pain later. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it also, um, just including that, I mean, obviously the obvious parallel that's happening here, but um just including that and setting up this also mini mini arc in the flashbacks of of the Iroh and Ozai sort of the where they stand in the birthright for the throne and like what kind of led everything to that and a lot of it a lot of how everything transpired did begin with Luten's death like it's a much bigger event in the story that maybe a lot of people don't realize um yeah but uh, Gensu declares that he's going to look for his eldest son on the front lines and Zuko leaves. But before he does, he gives Lee the dagger that Iroh had given him as he writes off another memory hits him. Um, young Zuko is practicing with this new dagger and Azula remarks how pitiful Iroh is for leaving his station station just because his son died and calls him a quitter and a loser. And this to me is just another indicator of how Azula completely looks down on people who feel those kinds of emotions because to her it's not practical it's a waste of time and i think it stems that that uh, zuko's behavior in not showing weakness and not asking for help i think also stems from azula like i think that's another way of him trying to mimic that because he thinks that's what makes him strong but as iroh says in in one way or another you know being strong is asking for help 
you know, not ignoring it. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And then Ursa comes in and says that their father has requested an audience with Fire Lord Azulon. Azula disrespectfully inquires why Ursa does not just refer to Azulon as grandfather because he's not exactly the powerful Fire Lord that he used to be. And when she continues saying that someone was probably going to take his place soon, Ursa scolds her and wonders to herself what is wrong with her daughter. I also think that a lot of this stuff that, like, Azula is, like, piping up and saying, because kids are like sponges. Kids will absorb just about anything from anywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're starting to learn about the world and, like, filters and shit like that. So, like, this is, like, you know, what I call, what's, like, directly, I'm pretty sure she's mimicking some of the things that Ozai has probably said. Probably, yeah. with her. That would make total sense. Absolutely. You know, not all kids are corrupt from the beginning or, you know, cruel Mm -hmm. from the beginning. So in the Fire Lord's throne room, Ozai asks Zuko and Azula how their great-grandfather Sozin won the Battle of Han Tui. So they're just playing Jeopardy. And while Zuko fumbles (laughs) for the answer, uh, Azula interrupts and answers correctly. Pleased with his daughter, Ozai asks her to show her grandfather the new moves she demonstrated for him. And she is clearly a firebending prodigy. Um, Zuko, in an attempt to prove that he is just as worthy, also tries to show his own firebending progress, but he ultimately fails. Ursa comes to his aid and assures him that she loved watching him perform. Extremely annoyed, Azulon dismisses everyone but Ozai, trying to find out the reason Ozai asked for his audience. Um, as Azula grabs Zuko just as they begin to exit the chamber and hides them both behind the curtain to eavesdrop. And apparently Ozai begins to plead this case that with Lu Ten gone, Iroh's bloodline has ended, whereas his bloodline is still ongoing. His, both of his children are still alive, and he asks Azulon to revoke Iroh's birthright, making him the next person in line to become Fire Lord. And Azulon is, is extremely unhappy with this proposition and extremely unhappy with Ozai's lack of respect for his brother's loss. And the Fire Lord tells Ozai that while Iroh has suffered enough, Ozai's punishment has only just begun. Uh, but before Azulan can deliver this punishment, a frightened Zuko runs away. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that Ozai tried to pull a fast one with Azulan when it comes to this. Um, and even though, I mean, we don't know a whole lot about Azulan or what he did, but it's probably not great stuff. But at the very least, mm-hmm. like, he recognizes that what Ozai is asking is a snake. Yeah. He's a snake. And it's also like completely dishonorable to say all of this while the person who's actually in the line for the next throne is like suffering a giant loss, not just a military one, but a personal one, you know? So Mm -hmm. it it definitely calls back to like the fire nation's idea of honor and respect, you know, and Ozai is blatantly throwing both of those things down the drain for power to the wind. Yeah. Yeah. So later on, Azula enters Zuko's bedroom and tells him that Ozai is going to kill him so that so he... She has like a sing-songy voice too. And that just, it's like... Yeah, dad's going to kill like you. Like, hello. Um, but apparently Azulon wants Ozai to know the, the pain of losing his firstborn son. And Zuko refuses to believe her. And Ursa enters the room demanding to know what is going on. Seeing Azula's smug face, she pulls her away angrily saying that it is time for a talk while Zuko remains in his bed chanting Azula always lies to himself. I'm going to make a headcanon about this. Sorry to interrupt. About like what Ursa does. I think Ursa killed Azulon and took the fall for it. For Ozai. I think that's exactly what happened. I think that was happened. the bargain that they struck. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think that's exactly what happened. But do you think, do you think Azula was lying? 
No. I don't think she actually was. I think, because remember, like, it was, I said later, like, your mother did traitorous thing to save your life, so. Mm-hmm. You know, I think she was actually telling the truth that he was going to kill. I think she's Zuko telling. I think she's telling a half truth. I think. Yeah. I think Azulon was going to kill Zuko, but the yeah. bit about making Ozai do it, I think maybe Azula made that up. I think she took yeah, a kernel to of truth scared. and and fused it with this lie to scare Zuko. I think. Well, hey, the best like lies are rooted in truth. You know exactly. I think I think that's what happened. Um, I, or I could be wrong, or it, it maybe Azula is completely. I guess we'll find out the chase. The truth. Yeah, or maybe we'll it, it is not the chase. The, the search. Uh, the, what the word? The, the search. search. Jesus Christ! That's the next episode. Um. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it, it could also be that Azulon did say that, and Ozai didn't want to do it, and that's why o- Azulon mysteriously passes away later, but. I don't know. There could be a lot of things, but you know, Azula does have a proven track record of, record of lying. So I, I was just thinking if she was telling the entire truth on this, but we'll find out eventually. Mm-hmm. So we're back in present day again. Uh, Lee's mother finds Zuko and pleads him to save Lee, who has been captured by the soldiers for standing up to them. And Zuko agrees to help. He arrives in the town square and the soldiers um, are ready to face him. And, and Zuko orders the soldiers to release Lee, and the leader laughs and asks who Zuko is. Zuko replies that his identity does not matter and denounces the soldiers to be both bullies abusing their power and cowards for messing with a family who just lost a child to the war. And at that, the soldiers attack, and Zuko defeats each of them with relative ease uh, before the leader bur- like busts out these hammers attached to his belt and uses them to earthbend at Zuko. Um, so this is another instance of a character using an external weapon to channel their bending, uh, much like Kiyoshi did with the fans and airbending. And Zuko will actually and I think also... they had hammers. Huh? They had hammers and Kiyoshi as well. Yeah, like yeah, Kiyoshi yeah. using the fans mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, and also the hammers. Zuko will also uh, later on use his blades to augment his fire... <laughs> to augment his firebending, uh, which is really cool. Um, so the rest of the village is watching as Zuko takes on the leader, but he is slowly losing stamina as he's just getting pummeled by boulder after boulder and at one point he hits the ground hard and it jars another memory in his brain and we see young zuko awoken in the middle of the night by ursa telling her son that everything she has done has been to protect him and that no matter how things may seem to change he must never forget who he is and she hugs him the last time before disappearing down a dark corridor which is what we saw at the beginning of the episode and as Zuko comes to, he instinctively lashes out with firebending, revealing himself in front of the entire village. Zuko wastes no time and charges the soldier, sending blasts of fire toward him as he swings the blades. The earthbender is quickly defeated and it's collapsed in a pile of debris. He once again asks Zuko who he is, and he answers by telling everyone his full title and royal heritage. And the crowd erupts in nervous whispers, horrified by Zuko's revelation as a firebender and prince of the Fire Nation. The man who had just been cheering Zuko accuses him of being a liar as he once heard that Zuko was not a prince, but an outcast who was burned and disowned by his own father. And I thought we learned in the storm that this wasn't like public knowledge, but I guess with Zuko recently going after Aang and being out more in the open, I think things started to travel and people started to connect the dots. You know, I also think that with like, you know, Zuko and Iroh being tr- branded as traitors to the Fire Nation, you know, um, in the beginning of the season after, you know, they right after the failure that happened at the Siege of the North Pole. So that too, probably good. 
spread as well yeah. because of that. And we also don't know what, what became of the crew that uh, Iroh told that story to, you know, so they could have just been roaming around telling that story. Um, but Zuko walks towards Lee with the dagger and his mother steps between them and tells Zuko not to come a step closer. Obviously, they're both pretty shaken after seeing him fire Ben. And obeying, Zuko kneels and offers a dagger again, but Lee rejects the offer, telling that he, telling Zuko that he hates him. And, like, Ouch. I was thinking about, like, how um, this episode really defied, like, the, the kids' like formulaic TV ending because, like, you would think, like, the lesson of this episode was, like, it doesn't matter where people come from, it matters what they do. But... It is another sci- it is another instance of world building where the Fire Nation has done irrevocable damage to the world and it has caused a lot of trauma with people and even if generational trauma. Yeah, and even if people see you doing something good, as long as you are a firebender, you are completely not worthy of trust, you know, and it's just really interesting and and as we go on through the show and and start to see more and more instances of of good firebenders who just happen to be a part of the fire nation like it makes you start to question like maybe your own biases as a viewer you know because you are pummeled in season one like especially with Sokka like a firebender immediately immediately an enemy you know and then we get people like Jong Jong who is a firebender but is also working in their own interests you know so it's just something to think about um, but mm-hmm. then in a final memory, Zuko wakes suddenly from his bed, yelling for his mother. He finds Azula playing with his knife and asks where their mother is, to which she replies that nobody knows and casually just adds that Azulan passed away in the night. Zuko tells mm-hmm. Azula that she is sick, takes back, takes back his knife, and runs to find his mother. Instead, he finds Ozai at the pond um, where his he and his mother were feeding the turtle ducks. And Ozai is just standing there and staring off into the distance. And when Zuko demands to know where his mother is, Ozai does not reply. And Zuko just bows his head. And then we cut to um, a funeral ceremony for Azulon. And the fire sages are, you know, telling of his past accomplishments and, and the eulogy and all that stuff. Ozai, Zuko, and Azula are present, all donned in white robes. After the sages cremate Azulon's body, the head sage coronates Ozai as the new fire lord, according to what he said was Azulon's dying wish. So not only was Azulon, like, mysteriously passing away in the night, but his dying wish happened to be the one thing that Ozai wanted from him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Shady. Yeah. Um, but returning to the present once again, Zuko is riding away from the village on his ostrich horse, his brown hat back on his head, with either side of the street lined with villagers. Some villagers, including Lee, glare at Zuko with bitter hatred as he rides away into the sunset. So, so let me ask you this before we go to the ad read. How do you think this episode functions in the overall redemption arc for Zuko? I think it just, like, it really does like i mean i know that we see um a little bit of what the trauma the fire nation has inflicted on everyday people at the beginning of the season um with song and her family um you know showing her showing him her scar just kind of matches his on her leg um but this one kind of just like kind of punches it in a little bit more that like you know this is what you know uh, your family this is what his family has done to the world really you know, um, like this, you know, it kind of shows him how, you know, what, like, something's not right, but he's not quite ready to fully accept that yet. 
But let's be honest, I don't think he's going to forget about this experience. I don't think he did. Yeah, I mean, apart from the obvious sort of, like, building that empathy with the audience for Zuko and kind of feeling bad for him, I think for Zuko, like, personally as a character, I think he's faced with the fact that he does not belong anywhere. He doesn't Mm -hmm. belong in the Fire Nation. He can't belong in the Earth Kingdom if people know he's a firebender. So it's it's starting to make him question, well, where do I belong? What is my purpose? What am I meant to do if not for this thing? You know? So I think it I think it goes a long way in, in terms of him forcing Zuko to reflect on how he's gotten himself in this situation or or not even that, like how how he's just landed in this particular situation. Um the punch to the gut. Yeah, and also forcing him forcing him to reconsider his allegiance with the fire nation which is is very very uh fragile at the moment but it's just making him like reevaluate a lot of things and i think that's like that's a good thing to make your character do if you want to redeem them um absolutely yeah i also since it's called zuko alone there's an episode in cora which i'm we will get to eventually with cora but there's an episode in cora called cora alone and of course i can't you know just mention it real quick you know both episodes focus around one character i think both of them don't have any other members of the team avatar like you know the you know other members of the core group of the show mm-hmm. um and both kind of use your feelings as an emotional punching bag a little bit. <laughs> yeah, this is the only episode where uh, the gang does not appear, according to Avatar Wiki, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about, um, but makes sense. Um, and also where we're, we have that tie-in comic, uh, Suki Alone. That's right, yeah. Which, I mean, com- like, looking at all the blank alone episodes that we've gotten, I think we also expect a good number of flashbacks for Suki as well. So I'm so excited, be interesting. holy crap. Cool. So we're going to move on to 208 The Chase. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break for our ad read. We'll see you after that. And we're back for the recap of 208 The Chase. So we are back with the gang after an entire episode without them. The only time this happens in the series. So the gang lands in a clearing to set up camp for the night and go to bed. Um, And Toph comments on how soft the grass is and really just oppa shedding, which is an important thing to remember for later. Um, and like, you know, Katar's like, oh, this is gross. Like you guys, you know, I'm so glad we had another girl with us. That way, like, you know, kind of balance out the immaturity that's going on here and the buffoonery. And then Tosh is like, wait, do I have a razor? Cause I got some hairy pits here. And she has like, she stuffed like wads of like Appa's fur in her armpits. And I think that's hilarious. Not wads, clumps. clumps. They're clumps. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> They're clumps. Sorry, Tylee. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, that was. I don't know it's kind of cool with some of these series that like the girl doesn't always have to be like the girl characters aren't don't always have to be like the ones like okay boys knock it off kind of thing like they can yeah. be just as immature and gross as the boys yeah definitely. <laughs> equality um so the gang starts setting up camp and Toph is just chilling in the corner um and basically Katara throughout this episode tries to get Toph to contribute to setting up camp but she over and over again says that like, yeah, I can handle carry my own weight. Like, I'm not gonna help you out with your stuff. I gotta can't take care of myself here. Mm-hmm. Um, Katar gets frustrated and walks off. So they're all sleeping peacefully, but then Toph feels vibrations in the earth that wakes her up and she alerts the gang that something's coming for them. She doesn't quite know what it is, but they better decide it's better to be safe than sorry and take off and go somewhere else. Once they're in the air, they can see the smoke in the distance, which means that something's heading right towards them. Uh, it doesn't look too good. 
They then cut and see that it's a tank-like war machine. So the gang flies for hours. They're losing sleep. You know, dark circles are starting to form under their eyes. And uh, they eventually they eventually land and set up camp. Katara tries once more to get Toph to help out. And then it's since they're cranky and tired, things just escalate from there. Uh, Katara calls her calls Toph selfish. And Toph said it reminds her that she's left everything behind to help Aang. And then calls her sugar queen, which gets gets her going, gets Katara going. Like per, it's literally like my sister and I's relationship, like when we were like around that age, is exactly like that. So but yeah, so she then Toph just builds an earth tent and even a door to shut her out. She's like, really? A door? Like she like she starts like pounding on it, like wasting energy there. Girl, go to sleep. That's just my that's my thing when I'm like, yeah, anyway, so uh Aang then tries getting Katara to calm down, to which she screams that she's completely calm, and that's been the subject of many <laughs> a meme and screenshot. Because it, it's so um, funny. <laughs> I, whoever did the whoever do the uh the facial animations for this episode deserves an award because it's so Seriously, funny and expressive. So many good like I mean like later with Sokka, I can still fight. And you know, well, I, I wanted to ask really quick: Where do you yeah. land on this argument? Do you agree with Katara that Toph should help out like everyone else? Or do you agree with Top that as long as she's carrying her own weight, it doesn't matter? I mean, personally, if you're traveling as a group, you got to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, yeah, take, you know, like, I mean, it's not just, you're not just living with someone else. I mean, yeah, they technically are outdoors and stuff, but you're living and traveling with someone, you know, work together. That's kind of, that's kind of the thing. But I can understand Top's perspective because she is fiercely independent. She's been babied yeah. her entire life. Independent so. to a fault, I think exactly exactly yeah so yeah that, that's my that's my thing watching from a distance <laughs> and it's also just you know classic earthbender hard-headed you know kind of self-interested only um it, it makes sense but i think mm-hmm. also like the age kind of too like i think that's how a lot of people like at age 12 also kind of felt like why do i why do i need to work with other people if i if i'm just carrying my own weight you know so mm-hmm. yeah i understand exactly. it but i think Katara is right in this situation absolutely and Katara just can't sleep just can't sleep she's just so angry her anger is just keeping her up yeah. uh and my favorite lines in the episode and it's terrible which is like the stars sure are beautiful tonight too bad you can't see them Toph like not that <laughs> that's not great Katara I will say no. this I remember um listening oh years ago listening to uh an- another it wasn't an avatar podcast it was a podcast where people would go back and rewatch. TV shows and talk about them and they would have people on the panel who have already seen it and people on the panel who have not seen it. And I remember this specific line being such a point of contention because one host was arguing like, oh, like that's really ableist of Katara to say. And and the other people were like, well, they're not, they're not, they're just like, she's just saying that they're they're beautiful because they're stars and like she wishes Toph could see them. And at one point the host goes, she says it because she's blind. She's blind. That's why she says it. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking of when I when I saw that line. I'd be like, yeah. it's not I great, mean, like, but it's it's exactly what a kid would say. Some, just, exactly. to, just to purposely a pick a fight, you know? Exactly. And then she gets a fight with Taka. She then earth bends her into the air. And yeah, I don't I don't leave this episode hating Katar for saying that. It's just is it is it a no. terrible thing to say? Yeah. But yeah. again, they're they're tired, they're kids. And they want to piss each other off. Exactly. You know? That's the point. 
God, sometimes when people like, I'm like, do you, do you guys have siblings? Do you kids have siblings? Yeah. Because, you know, you say that sort of thing. So then Toph alerts them all again that this machine's coming for them again, which is getting even closer this time. The gang takes off again, flying some more, and they land on a mountaintop. Uh, Katara and Toph snap at each other some more. The boys are at this point, they're like, guys, like, this is just too late. I can't, we have got no sleep. Like, let's just go to bed. Um, and then they start coming up with ideas on like what, uh, you know, what's causing this, why they're being chased. And Katara suggests that Zuko may be behind this. And then they fill in Toph in on who Zuko is. Um, and then Katara makes a joke at Sokka's expense about ponytails, which I don't know. It was a good joke because they both had stupid ponytails. Not that stupid, but you know, anyway, Momo then starts freaking out. So it's now just, it's not just Toph who's able to alert them of what's coming for them. It's Momo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so Aang's like, well, we've been running for a long time. Let's just, you know, let's let's just see. Maybe they're friendly. And then Sokka sarcastically replies, always the optimist. Um, and then the doors open on this tank thing to reveal that it's Azula, Tylee, and May. Ah, the bell count, you know, first bell count of the episode. Um, and then one of my favorite exchanges right here. We can take them three on three. Actually, Toph, there's four of us. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't count you. You know, no bending at all. I can still fight. <laughs> Okay, three on three plus Sokka. <laughs> yes. And again, the, so, the facial animation of, I can still fight. <laughs> it's so funny. I can't even make that facial expression. That's just, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I strained something in my jaw there. Trying to do it. <laughs> anyway, so the group then just heads for the hills after Top attempts to block their advances by earthbending, which does not work. So bell count number two here. Uh, Appa, meanwhile, like the rest of the gang, is having a really hard time staying awake. So they almost crash, and they do crash later. Uh, the sun's coming up, and that tank is still coming for them. Meanwhile, Zuko is getting in on this, and he's following the trail from the tank. Mm -hmm. So it's getting interesting, guys. The gang then tries sleeping, but then all of a sudden, Appa then falls asleep while flying. So they literally crash into a forest. Like, he's just out of gas. He's just... Can't do it anymore. On empty, yeah. Completely on empty. Um, so then they try once more. They're like, maybe this time we'll get away from them. You know, maybe this is it. Maybe they just gave up on us. Uh, again, another fight between Katara and Toph. And she ends up blaming Toph for, uh, you know, not helping set up camp sooner because they would have gotten to sleep faster and mm -hmm. they wouldn't be in the situation. And then uh, Toph says that, well, I didn't ask you to do anything for me. So that's, you know, kind of her side of the story here. Um, and then Toph points out that Appa's shedding ended up being the reason why Azula and Ozai's angels, that's what I'm calling them. <laughs> Ozai's angels. Are, that's why they're being following them so closely. Uh, and then Aang gets mad at Toph saying that it's Appa's fault and then blames Toph again. And then Toph just sends storms. I was like, I'm out. I can't do this with you guys anymore. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as much as people are like, oh my God, you know, like it's kind of, like, kind of like what you talked about earlier with that panel when they were like, talking about how Katara treats Toph and stuff like that. It's like, Again, they're kids, but they immediately regret saying such harmful, th such hurtful things yeah. later, you know? Yeah. So the then they form a, form a plan to stop them from being followed by Ozai's angels. And they give Appa a nice bath. So that way he won't shed anymore. And they make a baited trap, a fake trail for the Fire Nation to follow and actually go off in the opposite direction. Um, so now it's for the Toph alone part of the episode. <laughs> yeah. But something I wanted to talk about real quick is this scene that we're about to get into with like Toph and Iroh is like 
like the characters, it's the one time in the episode we get a break. Like this entire time, yeah. just the nonstop movement. We got to get out of here. We got to go somewhere else mm-hmm. and fighting and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, Toph runs into Iroh, Earth bends him into the air, and it hurts his tailbone. That sucks. Uh, meanwhile, Ozai's angels are examining the trail of the the what is it? Is it the is it what, what was the what was the right the word? Clumps. The title refers the clumps of fur. <laughs> Uh, Azula immediately picks up that Aang is baiting them. Uh, and so they split up in different directions. Like Sherlock so. level, like powers of deduction. Because oh, yeah. they're, they're earlier, Appa like skims the top of, of the trees. And Zula's, Azula mm. sees that. And she's like, well, obviously there's no other thing that could have made that except for a bison. And he's going the opposite mm. trail, opposite way of this trail over here. So he's giving us the, the bait and switch. Like, it's like she immediately picks up on it. Instantaneous. The details. Makes her a scary good antagonist. Um, so yeah, it was a angel split up in different directions. And Aang lands in a deserted town. Again, another Western sort of thing going on here because middle of a desert, showdown in the, t- you know, showdown in a ghost town yeah. kind of scenario, you know. Uh, so then he just scatters some more of Appa's fur and just waits for Azula to show up. Uh, well, not maybe not Azula, but, you know, somebody from Oza's Angels to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Katara and Sokka are on Appa, and they're trying to find Toph, and they find that May and Tylee are following them, and Appa, meanwhile, is quite literally crashing. He's just, again, out of gas, no sleep. Don't blame him. Um, they get across the river, but then, my, then May and Tylee attack, and, you know, Sokka falls victim to Tylee's chi blocking, which is also a really funny slapstick moment there, because she, like... She chi blocks his arm, his one of his arms, and then he tries had, hitting her with his other yeah. arm, and she chi blocks that arm. Well, also the the her. noises that Jack Dasana makes, like the uh, 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 uh. like <laughs> I forgot. He's like, uh, and then she, uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes so- like Sokka's like. It's not just the animation; it's the voice yeah. acting as well. It's just like those goofy, you know, noises. But then he then she tries like hitting him in the head, and he's like, "Yeah, that's not gonna work." But, like I don't know what his line is with that, yeah. but that made me laugh. And she's like. Because <laughs> that you know that, that he got a, he, he's a bit of a bonehead. Yeah. Um, but then uh, it's it looks like Oza's angels have cornered Katara and Sokka. Uh, uh, you know, May throws knives at Katara, pinning her to the tree, and uh, Sokka, of course, has fallen victim and is now a rag doll. Katara, it is cool though to see that Katara like remembered from last time and managed to like you know stay far away from this girl like don't let her get close to you or she's mm-hmm. gonna get you know lose her bending yeah. but then ends up getting you know pinned down by you know by May. So then Appa saves the day, smacks him into the river with his tail, just zero like, zero effort just to smack. Good for him. Um, meanwhile, smash cut back to the ghost town. Uh, Azula has finally caught up with Aang. And again, another great moment. I love quoting lines from this, ep- this episode. She's like, you know, like Aang's like, I don't know who you are. And she's like, you don't see the family resemblance. She covers one eye. I must capture the avatar to restore my honor. There's a blank stare from Aang, which has also been used as a meme. And then she's like, it's okay. You can laugh. It's funny. <laughs> like <laughs> her attempts at humor. Yeah. Aang then decides to face off against Azula because there's no more running anymore. She's always going to find him. She's just that damn smart and resourced. Meanwhile, as all of this like tension and crap's going on, we spent we cut over to Iroh and Toph just having a little, you know, tea party in yeah. the you know, middle of nowhere together, just chatting. And I gotta say, this is like I remember like the first time watching this and just thinking, like, this is just a weird, like 
care of, you know? Because they don't know they're on opposite sides of the situation. Yeah, it, it is. It is very weird. Like it's not weird, but it's like it's just you never would you never would expected for these exactly, two characters unexpected. to find each other, you mm-hmm. know, or have a heart to heart nonetheless. And of course, that heart to heart pays off later in the season as well. Um, but they have some really they have a really great connection together, mm-hmm. and like you know. The top insists that she's better off alone. And then it leads them into a discussion about the similarities between Toph and Zuka, how they're both, you know, trying to do everything on their own. And here's actually a really important lesson from Iroh is that there's nothing wrong with letting people who love you help you. And, you know, honestly, in this world that we live in where it's like, you know, all about like the hustle and burning yourself out as like a badge of honor and, you know, working late nights and things like that is just something to be celebrated. But, you know... There's nothing wrong with asking people for help. Yeah. You know. Really great lesson. So after taking the tea and the advice, Toph thanks Iroh and helps and heads off to help find her friends. And also she points out, I think she says to him at this point, like, um, you know, maybe you should tell your nephew. I hope you find your nephew and I hope he's okay. But like, you should tell him how much you need him too. Mm-hmm. Like, because he tells him like, he tells her like, yeah, I, you know, like I've been following her to see like, you know, when he needs me, I'll be there for him kind of thing. So we always talk about how much Zuko needs Iroh, but, you know, we don't really think, we all often talk about how much Iroh also needs Zuko, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, Toph made a great point about that. Yeah. Good stuff. And, like, again, this is, like, the breath of fresh, the breath of, like, you know, relax for a little bit. And then back to, like, you know, ultimate showdown type thing going down. Because it is. There are multiple players in this fight that we're about to see. You know, all of the elements are represented. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I pointed that out at the end. Back at the Azula Ang confrontation, Zuko joins the party, you know, cue the good, the bad, and the ugly theme. You know, that's happening. <laughs> Which is a surprise to Ang and the audience. I remember, I mean, I know we saw Zuko following the tag yeah. trail, but, you know, still a surprise at the same time. Well, this is also the, I think this is the first time that Aang has seen Zuko in the season, right? Mm-hmm. So it 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 for it felt like to them that Zuko had fallen off the radar, which is why they kind of thought that that Zuko was behind this. Um, mm-hmm. But this moment here, I noticed also kind of mirrors the season two finale, where Zuko gets in between Azula and Aang and has to decide what side he's going to fall on. And this moment is not necessarily what side he's going to fall on, but he has the two choices of of either taking down Azula before she can get to Aang, or just taking down Aang. But Azula doesn't give him the time to make that decision. And you almost kind of wonder if she was feeling whether... She was feeling like maybe Zuko was going to pick the first option, which was to try to take her down. And it it would have... It, it would behooved her to kind of attack first. But I also wanted to mention that the reason that I connected this to the season two finale was because in that moment where everything sort of stops and Zuko's trying to make that decision, you hear the Sungi horn in the music, which signifies Iroh a lot. And it's kind of like him trying to make that decision based on, on kind of Iroh's guidance. And which is exactly also what happens in the season two finale, because that's what Iroh tries to instill in him. Like you, like you have to pick the right side here, you know, so there's a lot going on in the in the music as well to kind of tell you 
that Zuko is struggling with what to do. It's been a while since we've had like a, you know, talked about the music in the show. It's been a hot minute since we've done, since we've done that. Yeah. So yeah, but it was, thanks for pointing that it out. Was, it was really interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. And that just adds to the scene. I did not pay attention to that. Thanks for pointing that mm-hmm. out. Um, yeah. So the three of them duel, you know, again, Western style, you know, they were, I remember like in the beginning, they're kind of like pointed at each other, like, you know, the two hands up, kind of like that one picture from like Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. They're all holding like yeah, yeah, guns yeah. at each other. That's what I thought of when I saw this. But then the tension breaks. They all start fighting. Um, and actually, just random note from the fight, because, you know, it's hard to describe a fight when you're when it's happening so quickly. But there's a part where, like, Azula is, like, sla- using, like, fires, like a, like, a knife to, like, cut through, like, mm-hmm. chunks of, like, the building that Aang is standing on top of. Mm-hmm. Um, thank God this is an abandoned town, because, uh, you know... That's probably why Aang chose that place to stop. Right, you know? right, yeah. There's also a moment where um, Zuko and Azula's fire kind of like collide and it's like split between the red fire and the blue fire and it also it kind of reminded me a little bit of Agni Kai. I think that's on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also like, I mean, it was just cool to like her use like the fire to, like as like precise as it was. Cause, you know, fire, un- you know, out of control, you know, it- Right, right. It's very, yeah. Up, it's very precise, to... exactly. And also the way that, like, the f- how the fight uses the scenery of the t- mm-hmm. of this town. You know, like anglers Azula off a platform thing, but she stops. Meanwhile, Zuka just <laughs> zooms right through. Naruto runs right yeah. through and falls to the floor. <laughs> like, yeah. Just I like that a lot. That was really cool. And then Katara joins in and uh, lures Azula away from Ang and Sokka. I, and then and I... Sokka. And Sokka, I'm sorry, Sokka and Katara. Why did I not write that down? I apologize. Uh, and they lure Azula away from Aang, and they're both, you know, doing their thing, fighting her. And then Iroh then finds Zuko and helps him up after, you know, a bit of a bit of a spill going on there. Um, Toph then joins the fight. So just like more and more people just coming on in, you know, making this a, a big old thing. Um, but then they manage to corner Azula, and she says that she surrenders with honor because she's a Fire Nation princess. We all know that's a ruse, but they don't know that. <laughs> Or at least most people in that group do not know that. Yeah. Um, and then she attacks Iroh and he collapses. Uh, then we see all four elements are used against Azula. Well, I guess five if you include the boomerang because you do see Sokka throw it. If you pause at the right time, you can see the boomerang yeah. just floating along. Um, and then she just blows them all off and just runs off, disappears, in you know, a pop of smoke kind of thing, smoke and mirrors. Um, Guitar offers help for Iroh, but Zuko yells at them just get away like leave leave us alone mm-hmm. um and so the gang ends up leaving and the episode kind of ends rather abruptly after that you know a little bit a little bit kind of a cliffhanger with what happened to iroh because i remember i was watching this the first time watching this episode late at night mm-hmm. and just like what happened to iroh is he okay yeah. like <laughs> why do you I think azula made the choice to go after iroh out of all the people in the group like not going after ang or zuko or maybe because of zuko's reaction to it like she knew that Zuko would stop fighting if you know Ira was attacked maybe I think yeah I think it was to get it was to get the the slip on on Zuko yeah distraction because I mean if 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 she went after Aang I think Zuko would try to attempt to attack her before she tried to do that but I think the shock of her going after Ira was enough to give her enough time to like get away so again, mm-hmm. another another quick and calculated move on Azula's part. Yeah, exactly. And in the end, like when it comes to Azula, the person that took her down, yeah, it was Katara technically and Zuko in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But like in the end, it was herself that also kind of took her down as well. Right. So 
So right. that's her biggest enemy is her. Um, but yes, yeah, so the gang managed to get some finally get some much needed rest. Uh, I forgot to mention Sokka's kind of freak out about I've never slept, not slept before. Like, what's going to happen to me? That's me. Uh, that's me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they all get some much needed you know, you rest. Never, you know, you never if you like miss a night's sleep, like it takes a while for your body to recover from that. You know? Oh, yeah. So that's, I mean, sleep Absolutely. is really important, y'all. Sleep is important. Sleep is not for the weak. Okay. Yeah. I know it was a joke about that, but it's it's not for the weak. I promise. Yeah. Anyway, so the gang gets a much needed rest, and the episode ends on that note. Cool. That's it. Well, it's time for the Azula Bell counter. So between Zuko alone and the chase, there were a total of nine Azula Bells. Two in Zuko alone, seven in the chase. So let's add those bells to the official Azula uh, uh, Avatar Hour Azula Bell counter. <laughs> And that brings our total to 16 and we are not even halfway through season two. So I'm feeling fairly confident that our, our guesses are, are closer than we might think. All right, let's move on to Phantom Corner. What you got for us, Kayla? All right, Phantom Corner. So this is a picture I'm assuming probably from Instagram where it says the moment you realize that all these women are voiced by the same person, the talent. And this person voiced Azula, Minghua from Korra, Young Lin from Korra, May's mother, actress Katara from the Ember Island Players episode, Katara's mother, uh, Roku's wife, and the spirit mushroom that, you know, Kaya, Bumi, and Tenzin walked past twice in The Legend of Korra. She's also the voice of the dark spider spirit. And what other, who am I missing? And I think that's that's it for, I mean, she has other voices in Avatar, but this is Grey Delisle. Mm-hmm. This is all voiced by Grey Delisle. Like, can we just, like, appreciate her, like... <laughs> The talent. The absolute skill. Sis, you did that. She has she has the range. Oh, her mind. Yes, she does have the absolute range. Yes. And I mean, she's like basically one of the many voices of our childhood, you know, obviously with her roles in Avatar, but she was Vicky in Fairly Odd Parents. She was Emily Elizabeth in Clifford the Big Red Dog. And like she's in some Star Wars properties that I mentioned in the Star Wars episode. Like she has so many voice acting credits that I can't even list them all here. Like, there's so many. Home, so Homegirl many, is so. working with yeah. a capital W. <laughs> exactly. Like, she's in, like, the same club as, like, Tom Kenny voices, like, SpongeBob yeah. and Ice King yeah. and, like, uh, you know, Tara Strong, who's, you know, one of the Powerpuff Girls and Timmy Turner and things like that. Like, legendary status right there. Legendary. <laughs> Shout out to the inimitable Grey Delisle. Let's move on to recommendations. Kayla, what is your recommendation for the week? Okay, so our patrons can actually see this, but I got What the Plot, which is a game that's not, I don't think it has any major distributors for it. You have to get it online, but um, basically it's a, it's, a, it's called a party game for people who like to talk shit. Um, but basically you pull out a card that says like, something like, tell me about the time you got banned from Canada. And you have to come up with a story in one minute. Mm. You have to talk. You have to like basically just improv an entire story in one minute, and you have to include one of three words that are on another card. So it could be like fireball oh. or you know fire hose or something like that. Not a lot of fire. I don't know why I keep thinking that, but it. I played it for the first time this week with my family over Easter, and so many inside jokes started. Like <laughs> just so many like jokes. So many like you know there's some very creative like ways that you can do this it's like y'all had different versions of like the stories like one of them's like 
how I survived the zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And I told a whole story about how I lived in a grill store and I used a propane tank to light a bunch of zombies <laughs> on fire. So fireball, that was my word. So again, the minute goes by really fast. You got to tell a good story. In under a minute. In under a minute with, a, you know, a, a word from the from like the card. So that's awesome. What the plot a, a lot is the game? What the what plot? The plot. Love that. What the plot. Love that. Um, it's so much fun. My recommendation is a TV show. Um, it's called Vicious. It was on the BBC mm. for a couple of seasons, and I found it like I don't I don't even know how I found it. I found it on like Amazon Prime or something. Um, but it's this TV show with Ian McKellen and Derek Jacoby, and they're playing this gay couple that has been together for like 60 years or something and they're living in this like lush victorian london flat it takes place in modern times but it's like very like like you know antique all that stuff and it's literally just like 23 minutes of them roasting the shit out of each other and it is just so funny to me i'm a big <laughs> fan of british comedies and this to me is like it it is so funny and well done and just like it's also wholesome and very just you know it's just fun to watch and there's a lot of like great other british actors that come in that you that you'll know but um yeah definitely check it out i, I don't watch i know it's on bbc but it's only any streaming service it's not on any streaming services i had to to buy the first season for like ten dollars or something because i saw oh, i bad. saw that there's like the first episode is like fully on youtube uh illegally nice. um and i watched that and i was like i gotta i gotta watch the rest of the season and it's it's definitely amazing so if you're if you're looking for something quick and easy and fun to watch i definitely recommend vicious it sounds like fun i mean hey like if i don't want if i like you know I, that's like a kind of relationship that i want you know with like just we can roast each other i mean i do that yeah. with my siblings all the time but i would love to do that with a romantic partner someday you know also it's ian mckellen and derek jacoby like it's ian it's, mckellen it's so good it's so good <laughs> oh my Thanks for the recommendation. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. And I hope you check out what the plot sometime. I'm it's really interested game. in that. Yeah. I don't remember where I got. It. I know it was like it existed as a Tumblr post, actually. Like someone like came up with like the game as a Tumblr post thing. Like they just wrote about it. Thank you, Tumblr. Um, and then eventually just over the years it would come up in my feed mm -hmm. over and over again. And like as it started to develop more, and then the link finally popped up for you people to buy it. So I'm like, I'm gonna get it. Nice. And I did. And it's fun. So anyway. Thanks for recommendations. That wraps up the recommendations part of this episode. So if you like Avatar Hour, or rather you should say love it, you can go to our Patreon for more Avatar Hour content. We have a lot of exciting stuff over there. And for little as $1 a month, you can get a shout out live on the show and also receive a personalized thank you video from either myself or Andre. And we love making this podcast and we really appreciate your support. So go check us out at patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour podcast. Yes, and this week on our flagship benefit Avatar After Hour, we will be looking at some Avatar TikToks, and I am extremely excited for that. We both have brought a couple for, well, not a couple, I brought like 10 or 11 um, to the I table. I think it's like close to 15, I think it's like close to 15 each. Yeah, and we have, like, not, we have not watched what the other person has brought to the table, so I'm, I'm very excited to see what TikToks so Kayla has, has found for us. Um, but yeah, that is going to be available at the $5 level, Air Acolyte level. Um, and we do Avatar Hour once a month. Or I'm sorry, not once a month. Avatar After Hour, we do once a month. Uh, we do this show weekly. Um, but yeah, yeah, if you're interested in going, uh, if you're interested in watching us do that, go ahead and subscribe at that level to check it out. 
And if you'd like to send us feedback about the show or just send in submissions for Fandom Corner, you can email us at theavatarhourpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach us on Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast or on Twitter at Avatar Hour. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back Thank next you. week with 209 and 210. And yeah. Awesome talking to you That's as it. always, Kayla. Aw, thank you. Of course. So much fun. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. Bye, everyone. See you next time. Bye.